Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Well, good morning, River of Life. Let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us, dying on a cross for us, saving us, making us alive, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, making us a part of the body of Christ, giving us an eternal destiny. Father, how honored and privileged and grateful we are for the grace that was shown to us. Father, I pray that every word that's said here today will honor your son. That will draw people to your son. Holy Spirit, do what you do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about a a subject that's been on my mind for uh, several weeks now. And that is, of course, as you can see, Christian unity. And this morning, I want to talk specifically about the need for unity here at River of Life. Now, what I mean by that is I'm, I'm not saying other churches don't have a need for unity. I'm, I'm quite certain that they, that they do. But this morning, other churches aren't on my mind. This morning, River of Life is on my mind. So I want to speak specifically to you about our need for unity. Now, I understand as soon as I say that, some people's mind might start turning a little bit. So let me go ahead and tell you that no, I do not know anything that you don't know. Okay, I'm not surreptitiously trying to deal with a with some issues or any nothing like that. Listen, as far as I know, we are a very healthy church. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we are a unified church, and that is a a wonderful thing. But I want you to read here what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." You see that word I underline? Maintain. Folks, listen, unity is not easy. Unity uh, doesn't come without some work. And even when you have it, Paul says you got to maintain it. It's like a car. You can get a car and drive that car and it'll be running fine. But let me tell you, if you don't maintain that car, if you don't service that car, it's just a matter of time before it breaks down. Unity is the same way. We can't just assume because we have a unified church that we'll just, we don't have to do anything. It just comes easy. It doesn't. It doesn't. Unity has to be uh, worked for. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Wonderful blessings to be a part of a unified church. But we don't take that for granted. We want to wake, make sure that we maintain that. Now, I want to talk a little bit uh, in, in, that, in that area about the differences that we have. Now, if you just look around at River of Life, it's obviously that we're kind of a melting pot, if you will. 
We all bring differences into the body of Christ, and those differences can be the color of our skin. They can be the uh, the socioeconomic background. We all come, a lot of us come from different religious de- denominations and things like that. But what really makes us different from one another is our experiences that we have before we come to this body. I just wrote down a few of them here making some notes. I mean, I want you to just think about this for one second, okay? Just think about our parents. There are people in this body right now looking at me who were raised by uh, two parents who never got divorced. And then there's uh, probably another half of you in this body who came from parents who did get divorced, and that has affected you greatly. Then there's other people here, by the way, who were probably raised by parents who never got married at all. There are people here that were raised by two parents. There are people here that was raised by one parent. There are some of you sitting here, and I know your story. You weren't even raised by your parents at all. You were raised by relatives, a grandmother, or something like that. Just the way we were raised by our can you imagine? We all bring those experiences, good and bad. They've shaped us and made us into who we are. Think about things like alcohol. Some of you grew up in a house where alcohol played no part at all in your upbringing. Some of you grew up in alcoholic homes and a lot of variations in between. And how you were raised and how your parents were and who they were has incredibly shaped you. It's given you certain expectations and insecurities and things like that. Think about... Think about things like just standards. Some of you grew up in a home where certain ways of dressing and certain ways of talking were not allowed. And others of you grew up in homes where those same things were just seen as normal. Just just everyday normal. Think about our culture that we come from. Think about even our generation. I was watching a video the other day of, of an elderly pastor. He was probably late 60s, early 70s. And he was telling a story about a young man that came into their, their lobby and he was wearing a hat. And uh, the ushers politely asked him to remove the hat. And he declined. And they politely asked him to leave. <laughs> they, you didn't come in that church with a hat on. But just think about something as simple as wearing a hat. An older generation can look at that and it, it is incredibly important. And younger people don't see, the, they don't see it at all. Right? It's, it's completely different. We bring, and, I, and that's just a few things. My point is we bring all of this together into the body of Christ. And let me tell you something, folks. Conflict is inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. Now, you may say to me, well, Derek, that's, <laughs> that's not a very faith-filled statement. It's kind of negative, isn't it? I mean, after all, aren't we new creations in Christ? Yes. Aren't we uh, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit? Yes. Doesn't Jesus tell us to to love one another? Yeah, but I'm going to ask you, have you ever read the Bible? (laughs) Just read the Bible. Jesus was so sure that we would offend one another that in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, he told us what to do when it happens. He went ahead and just said, here's what you need to do because offenses are going to come. I know we have this idyllic view of the early church that somehow they did church so much better early on than they do today, but again, just read the Bible. It was very early on in the church, they had a big brouhaha because, you know, everybody was bringing their stuff together and selling what they had and sharing, but yet the Jewish widows were getting ministered to ahead of the Gentile widows, and that caused caused a big blow up that they had to deal with. 
Acts chapter 15, there's this story about these two men named Paul and Barnabas. These guys had been friends for years. They were spirit-filled, spirit-led, men of God. Not only that, they had gone on a missionary journey together. They had been in the trenches together. They had been persecuted together. They had each other's back. And yet, if you go read Acts 15, Paul comes to Barnabas one day and says, Hey, man, let's, let's go back and retrace our steps and visit those churches. And Paul said, Man, that sounds like a great idea. Let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, No, we're not doing that. You see, on that first missionary journey, they'd taken a young man named Mark. And, and when he, uh, he got about, I don't know, about a quarter way in, he got homesick and went home. Or he went home for some reason. We don't know why, but he turned back. So when Barnabas suggests taking Mark, Paul says, man, there ain't no way. I gave that guy one chance, and he blew it. But you see, Barnabas, whose very name means son of encouragement, he wanted to give Mark a second chance. And the Bible says, you can read it for yourself, the disagreement between them was so sharp that they parted ways. Barnabas took Mark and went on a missionary journey. Paul took Silas and went on another missionary journey. Those are men of God. In Romans 14, Paul writes to the church, and they, they got division in the church. Some people are saying, you only eat meat, and other people are saying, no, you, you only eat vegetables. Some people are saying, well, you, you, we need to observe certain holidays, like the, the Passover. And so other people are saying, no, it, you don't have to do that stuff anymore. And Paul, Paul, Paul writes a whole chapter to deal with those type of situations. In 1 Corinthians, he writes to the church and half of them are lining up under Paul saying, Paul's our man. The other half are lining up under Apollos saying, no, Apollos is our man. And Paul says, forget all that. It's God that's important. And then you go read Philippians chapter 4 as Paul closes his letter. There were two women in that church. And those women were, Paul calls them fellow workers. I mean, they were godly women, and yet they had some kind of conflict. And Paul says, I urge those two women to agree. Just read your Bible. But, and, and it's no wonder then that because it doesn't come easy, that the Bible over and over and over again urges us, exhorts us to unity. Old Testament and New. For example, David said this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Jesus, in John 17, his, his great priestly prayer where he's praying for us, says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be one. Peter says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So evidently, unity is this incredibly important thing. So what I want to do this morning with just a few minutes that we have is I want to to look at these three questions. Number one, what is Christian unity? What is it? What does it look like? Number two, why is it so important? Why does the Bible stress it over and over and over again? And then the final one is this. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? So let's look at this first question. What is Christian unity? Uh, You may not think about this very often, but did you know unity itself is neutral? It's It's like money. Money's not good or bad. It's how you view money. It's how you use your money. But money is not neither good or bad. Unity is the same way. 
It's neither good or bad. You, you can have bad unity if you use it for the wrong reasons. You can have good unity if you use it for the right things. It's, it depends on its source and its purpose. Let me give you an example. Luke twenty three twelve. It says this, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. He's talking about the, the crucifixion day. So Herod and Pilate had always been enemies, had always been uh, against one another. But on this one day, the day they crucified Jesus, it says they became friends. That's a unity, but it ain't a good unity. It's a unity driven by a scorn for Christ. It's a unity driven by the desire to ingratiate themselves with the Jews. It's a unity, but it's not good. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a few examples of what Christian unity is not. Before we look at what it is, I want to show you what it's not. Christian unity is not agreeing with sin. John Piper tells a story when he was a little boy in the 1950s in South, I think it was Greenville, South Carolina. The church he was in was an all-white church, and they had a vote whether to allow black people to be members of their church. And the vote was unanimous against allowing black people to come to their church. Now, folks, let me tell you, that's a form of unity. They're unanimous, but that ain't Christian unity. Christian unity can't agree with racism. Christian unity can't base itself upon grace, uh, upon racism and things like that. By the way, we're seeing the same thing in modern churches today where churches are voting to uh, affirm uh, gay marriage, where churches are voting to allow homosexual clergy. And in many cases, they're unanimous votes. There's a unity. That's a form of unity. But let me tell you, that ain't Christian unity. Christian unity does not agree with sin. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Paul says, what partnership has righteous with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Christian unity cannot be based on darkness. It cannot agree with darkness. That's one thing it's not. Here's another thing it's not. It's not uniformity. How many churches across America this morning are meeting together and, and the common thing, the thing that's drawn them together is their race, their ethnicity. We got Korean churches, we got Hispanic churches, we got black churches, we got white churches. And let me tell you, that's a form of unity, but that's not the Christian unity Jesus is talking, Paul's talking about, that scripture talks about. You know, I, I, I get why those things have happened because of our history and all of that. But we need to understand that that is not what the Bible calls Christian unity. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve seventeen and 18. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You see, God, if, if he wanted us all the same, he'd have made us all the same. He didn't want that. That your differences, be it the color of your skin or your, or your economic background or your upbringing or your experiences, God has placed you in this body as he chose, not as anybody else. He wants to use you just the way you are. He, he, can, he can minister to some people through you that he could never minister to that person through me because I don't have the same experiences, the same background. In the same way, I can minister to some people that you may never be able to because of my experiences and my background. It's not uniformity. We don't have to, have to look the same and act, and act the same and dress the same and be the same. God can use our differences. 
Let me tell you something else Christian uh, unity is not. It's not unanimity in beliefs. In other words, you and I don't have to believe exactly the same thing. Okay? Now, let me be very clear here, because we always have to be clear when we say something like this. There are certainly essential truths in the Bible that if you're going to be a Christian, you need to believe. For, and I'm, I'm going to give you a few. You need to believe in one God. You need to believe in the inspiration and authority of Scripture. You need to believe in the deity of Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection, his second coming. You need to believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you believe something else, and I don't know how you call yourself a Christian. And by the way, I put an et cetera on there because the point this morning is not to give you a definitive list. That's not the point. I'm just saying there are certain essential truths that we need to unite around. But let me tell you, folks, there's a whole lot of non-essential truths. There's a whole lot of them. Now, I didn't say they weren't important. I'm just saying they're not essential. For example, God's sovereignty versus human free will in salvation. We can disagree on that to some extent. Baptism, Pastor Henry and I were talking about this this morning. You know, I believe the Bible teaches that we are to be immersed. But somebody else may think, well, you know, I can just dump water over somebody's head. And and I'm not going to separate from that person just because of that. Think about church governments. Do you have one pastor? Do you have multiple pastors? Do you, or do you have to belong to a domination? Do you answer to a bishop? There's all kind of church government that we can believe differently about. Biblical prophecy. We can, you might say, well, I think it means this and I think it means that. Spiritual gifts. Some people believe spiritual gifts have ceased. Other people believe they haven't. Observance of holidays. Some people believe, well, I think it's okay to to observe Christmas and and Halloween and the Jewish Passover. And somebody may come along and say, well, that's, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You shouldn't do that. Some people may believe it's okay to get vaccines. Other people may believe it's not okay to get vaccines. And again, I'm just putting an et cetera on there. The point is not a definitive list. The point is we can disagree about non essential things. A guy by the name of Rupertus Meldenius in 1627 said this, and this is an incredible quote, in essentials, unity, in not essentials, liberty, in all things, love. In essentials, we need to be unified, but in non-essential things, we can disagree. Let's give ourselves freedom to be able to still call somebody a believer just because they don't line up exactly with us in all things, love. But this morning across America, I don't know how many denominations have split up just because of non-essential things. I was doing a study this week. Did you know that there are about, I think, 40 different Baptist denominations? How's that possible? There's Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Primitive Baptist, uh, 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 Particular Baptist. I don't even know what they're particular about, but they're particular about something. (laughs) Oh, and then there's the strict particular Baptist. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. All because people said, well, you don't believe exactly what I believe. I'm going to go over here and start me another church. And it just goes on and on and on. Let me tell you, folks, have strong convictions. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Have strong convictions. But recognize that someone who differs from me in non-essential matters can still love Jesus Christ. We don't have to be exact. Listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not infallible. I'm not God. 
I'm not going to say, well, that's exactly how it has to be, especially on the non-essentials. So we need to give each other liberty and freedom and in all things love. Let me tell you the final thing Christian unity is not. Christian unity is not apathetic. Let me tell you, give me a church of 600 people who don't care and you won't have any conflict because they don't care. (laughs) They don't care. See, that's not Christian unity. Christian unity is not a lack of conflict. It's this interesting thing in the Bible. And, and, and I always say this. If, you want to know what, if you're not sure what to do, ask an unbeliever what they think you should do and then do the opposite. <laughs> ask an unbeliever what, what you think they should do because they don't have the mind of Christ. They don't understand the things of the Spirit. Probably a good thing, just do the opposite. Let me give you an example here. You know, when, when we think about all the differences that we have, the natural mind says, you know what? Here's the way we all need to get along. Just, just don't have any strong convictions. Don't, don't take yourself so seriously, man. Really? Just, does that really matter? And see, that sounds reasonable. It sounds natural just not to care, to be apathetic. And that's what the world will tell you to do. Because they just want to play a guitar and sing kumbaya and everybody just get along together. But let me tell you, folks, that ain't biblical. One of the most astounding verses in the Bible to me is Romans 14.5. Listen to what Paul says. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person or another esteems all days alike. By the way, those are non-essentials. Those are non-essentials. Now, you would think Paul would say, guys, come on. Does it really matter? It's not what he says at all. Look at what he says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. See, when Paul says, looks at unity and he looks at two options, and over here is apathy, not caring, and over here is being fully convinced in your own mind, having strong convictions, Paul always says, I choose strong convictions. I want each one of you to care. I want each one of you to know what you believe and to stand for what you believe. That's an incredible thing. Listen to this quote from William Barclay. This is the danger of every healthy church. It's when people are really in earnest, when they really care, when their beliefs really matter to them, that they are apt to get up against each other. The greater your enthusiasm, the greater the danger of conflict. That makes sense, doesn't it? The more this church grows, the more this church matures, the more we care, the more zealous we are for the things of God, the more apt we are to have conflict with one another. That's a crazy thing, isn't it? See, and and that's the thing. Christian unity is not lack of conflict. Christian unity is treating conflict the right way. So what is Christian unity? What's my definition? Let me give you a couple of scriptures. The first one we've already read, Ephesians 4, 3. Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the, say it with me, spirit. Let me tell you, Christian unity comes from the spirit. That is its source. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, there's your race, your race, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic background. We all bring this in, but we are baptized into one spirit. We all have the same spirit. That is the source of our unity. But watch this next one, Philippians 127. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That gives me chill bumps, just reading that right there. You see, Christian unity finds its source in the spirit. But our commonality is a love for Jesus Christ and a commitment to the gospel. You see, people all over America this morning are, 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 are congregating and uniting over some commonality. That's, that's what people do. Sometimes that commonality is race. Sometimes that commonality is belief. Sometimes that commonality is tolerance. It can be a lot of different things. Folks, let me tell you, our commonality is a love for Jesus Christ and a commitment to the gospel. Color don't matter, socioeconomic status don't matter, what denomination I came out of. None of that should matter. What should matter to us, what unites us, is a love for Christ and a commitment to the gospel. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important? Here's why. The unity of the body is a testimony to the beauty of Jesus Christ. The unity of the body is a testimony to the beauty of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Paul tells us in Colossians and Ephesians that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head. We are the body. Okay? Now let me ask you a question. If we ever see another person, a human being, and they're... Their brain, their head is fine. They can see, they can smell, they can hear. Their brain works. Their head is perfectly fine. But their body won't obey the brain. Maybe they're paralyzed because of some reason. Maybe they've got some condition where their, uh, their physical body is wasting away. Maybe they've got uh, some condition like Parkinson's or, or, or multiple sclerosis or something like that where the body stops obeying the head. When, when we see someone like that, what are words that we use? They're sick, right? They're, they're diseased. They got some kind of disease. They're infirm. They're unwell. They're unhealthy. We can physically see that. What do you think it says about Jesus when people look at the body and the body doesn't do what he says to do? What do you think people think about the person of Jesus Christ when they look at his body and, 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 the, and the fingers are fighting against the hands and the hands are fighting against the legs and the legs won't do what the ears... Are you with me? What would we, what would we think about the person of Jesus? We think he's sick. We think he's unwell. We think something's wrong with him. Folks, you see, it's not just about individuality. It's about the body. One of the things I, I believe that the church in America has, has missed is everything is always about the individual. It's always about you. But, and, and there's nothing, and, and in some sense, that's certainly true. But there's a bigger picture here. It's about the body. It's about the health of the body, the unity of the body. Why? Because as an individual member, yes, you in some sense certainly put on display the beauty of Christ. But I'm here to tell you the body. The body displays the worthiness, the value, the, the, the awesomeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How we get along with one another, how we handle conflict with one another says a lot to the world about who Jesus is. In fact, it says everything to the world about who Jesus is. I close with this. Why 
why is it so hard? <laughs> why is it so hard? I, I spent a lot of time this past week thinking about this. Why is unity so hard? It doesn't seem like it should be, right? doesn't seem like it should be. After all, I mean, think about it. We all love Jesus. We've all got his Holy Spirit. We all agree, you know, largely theologically. We all love this church. We, we, we love, you know, I mean, we got so much in common. Why is unity sometimes so hard? And this is what I realized. Just asking that question, there's an assumption behind that question that it should be easy. We just assume because all those things are true that we love Christ and we've got the Spirit and all those things, we just make an assumption that it should be easy. Now, that's a reasonable assumption. It sounds like it should be a right assumption, but the Bible doesn't support it at all. The Bible doesn't support it at all. Again, let me refer you to my previous list. In fact, let me let you guys in on a little secret. It's always been hard. It was hard from day one, and it'll be hard till Jesus comes back. It's always been hard. Listen, nowhere in the Bible, if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise you that unity won't be hard. In the same way that he never promises that dying to sin won't be hard. He never promises that enduring suffering won't be hard. He never promises that loving your enemies won't be hard. In fact, there's nothing he commands that he ever says is going to be easy. Never. It's always been hard. It always will be hard. Now, that kind of explains, you know, one part of it, but it doesn't really answer the question. And that is, why is it so hard? And I think here's, I could give you several reasons, but I want to give you one positive one. The pursuit of unity refines us. Another way to say that with church words is the pursuit of unity sanctifies us. It sanctifies us. Listen to Ephesians. I'm going to give you a couple of of quotes, one from Paul, one from Peter. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your old self. All those insecurities and all those expectations and all this baggage that you bring in to the body, put off that old self and put on the new. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So here are two huge commands in the Bible. Put off your old self and die to sin. Put off your old self, die to sin. Listen, when we pursue unity, you're going to get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do those two things. Those of you that are married know this is true. There's something about the marriage. And if you try to do it right, you'll get an opportunity every day to die to sin. You'll get an opportunity every day to put off the old self. You'll get an opportunity every day to show mercy and grace and forgiveness, right? Every single day. Well, let me tell you, when you are in a body like this, with all of our differences, you're going to get opportunities every day to show mercy, humility, compassion, kindness, 
meekness, grace. Every day you're going to get an opportunity to put someone someone else's needs ahead of your own. Let me give you a few scriptures. First, John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought, to all, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, Jesus said to love one another, but you do understand that's a sacrificial love. It's not an easy love. It's not a love that's just, you know, just, it's, it's just an affection that just naturally, no, it's a sacrificial love. We lay down ourselves for one another. Philippians 2, 3, Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. What would happen? What would happen if every single one of us considered others more important than ourselves? What in the world would happen? I'll leave you with Colossians. Well, won't leave you with it, but one more. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You want to know how to actually walk in unity? That's a really good, uh, that's a really good passage right there to uh, follow. Listen, unity is a wonderful thing, but it's not about some idyllic expectation. It's about displaying the reality and the redeeming and sanctifying love of Jesus Christ. Unity is about putting on display for the world what Jesus Christ is really like. See, a lot of people out there is never going to read, pick up a Bible, but they're going to they're going to see us. And if they see us gossiping, and they see us backbiting, and they see us participating in this this cancel culture and all of this mess, what does that say about the person of Jesus? But when they see us forgiving one another and loving one another. And considering each other more important than I consider myself, man, that makes Jesus look lovely. That makes Jesus look beautiful. By the way, just to show you that I'm not just making this all up, I left one passage to the end. This is John 17, 21. Jesus said this. He's praying for us. He says that they may all be one so the world may believe that you sent me. I pray, God, that river of life would be unified so the world will believe that you sent me. Listen, unity isn't just, like I said, it isn't some ideal. It isn't just some, uh, it isn't something we just think, well, that would be nice to have. No, there are huge, huge implications at stake here. What will people believe about Jesus Christ? And he says if we're unified, there's something about that that leads people to believe that, yes, he is the one. And when we're not, and when we're not. Listen, we sang worship songs this morning, and I love those. It's all about Jesus, all about what he's done for us. How can we not? How can we not live lives so the world would believe that he's been sent by God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you, as we said earlier, for the incredible, incredible grace that has been bestowed on us who know your son.
What a what an honor and what a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. And I ask this morning, I ask this morning, that God, you will just, you've, you've done wonderful things here when it comes to unity. I pray that we'll be unified more. I pray that there, if any heart here, if there's anybody here, that God, there's just been, that, that, that it's just not been unified, God. They, maybe they've been saying things or doing things that, that just disunifies. God, I pray today, I pray today that your word will speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.